Welcome to The Get Get Together. Together. This is our show about the nuts and bolts, the meat and potatoes of community building. Nice. I'm looking for more versions of those pears if anybody has a suggestion. The apples and oranges of community building. I'm your host, Bailey Richardson. I'm a partner at People and Company. Hey, Bailey. And I am a co-author of Get Together, How to Build a Community with Your People, which is now available on Amazon. I'm here. I'm Kevin, slightly in pain. I'm also a partner at People and Company and also another author of that book, Get Together. Today, we're recording at Listening party uh, out of Canal Street Market in Chinatown, Manhattan. Thanks for having us. Thank you for having us. Each episode of this podcast, we interview everyday people who have built extraordinary communities about just how they did it. How did they do it? How did they get the first people to show up? How did they grow to hundreds more members? Today, we're talking to Nitika Chopra. She's an organizer of Chronicon, a conference that brings together people with chronic illnesses to break the cycle of isolation that they often experience. Nitika has been living with severe psoriasis since she was 10 years old, and she was diagnosed with sciatic arthritis at 19, which made it difficult for her to walk. That personal experience, which she will share more about in our interview, led her later in life to stick her neck out and speak openly about what she'd been through. The whole point of doing it is to break the cycle of isolation. That was a big impetus to me starting to even talk about chronic conditions because I always felt so alone. I was convinced I was the only human being on the planet that dealt with this. Nitika has since hosted events for people with chronic illnesses, forged a Facebook group, and last year brought hundreds of people together in New York City for Chronicon, one of the first events of its kind. Kevin, what stuck out to you about our conversation with Nitika? First, I'll say I met Nitika before Chronicon, and now to speak to her after, it's very special to see it go from idea to it has happened and will continue to happen. She shipped it. She did ship it. One of the questions that we help sort of clients and independent leaders sort through is how to really organize a compelling shared activity. Like what should that event be or that online thing be? I think one element of designing that activity well is doing it with your specific people in mind. It sounds simple, but you know, this activity doesn't have to be mind blowing. Like the conference doesn't have to cover content that is never ever before seen. Um, It has to be valuable. And part of that value is just doing it specifically with those people, you know, designing it in a way that it it caters to their unique needs or so they can have the conversations that they really want to. They feel honored or revered. And with Nitika organizing, you know, this event with the chronic illness community, she thought a lot about food, for instance, because that's like sort of a source of stress about is this going to, you know, make me feel worse? Am I going to starve? And to like really do conference food in a way that honors these people and makes them feel taken care of finally is really special. You know, they're also used to getting a lot of unsolicited advice. So how do you create content at this conference doesn't do that. You know, set those sorts of boundaries so people just really feel at home and welcome and that this is definitely a space for this community. Yeah, I think the alternative to focusing on, you know, the who in making your design is focusing on a why, which might be like your own why that becomes like strategic or like businessy or whatever. And it can often lead people away from really making something valuable for the person that is in the seat, as Nitika says. And that's what's most important. Yeah. And you can tell how much Nitika cares about serving those people. All right. Let's get into it. Let's get into it. 
Nidika, we are so excited to have you on the podcast. Thank you for coming down here on this rainy, hot New York day. We're not going to talk any more about the weather. We're going to jump straight in. No more weather. <laughs> I am not going to talk about the weather anymore, but I'm so excited to be here. Right. Thank you for having me. We're, we are so excited to talk to you. I want to get straight into it with okay. the question we love to ask everyone at the beginning, oh. which is Kevin likes to say, as a community organizer, you can't fake the funk. We see people over and over again who are organizing communities and they're solving a problem that they themselves have experienced. Mm. So can you just tell us a little bit about what inspired you to organize other folks with chronic illness and bring them together? Well, I love that thinking about can't fake the funk. Can't fake the funk. I so agree with that. (laughs) And it's interesting, actually, as it relates to how I got started, because I feel like there was a lot of my journey where I was trying to avoid talking about this Mm. conversation. And I think that's kind of common when we're going through something that is so personal and really can take over your whole life. Life, mm-hmm. right? Like a chronic illness can for so many people. And so for me, I started content creating like 10 years ago. And I always sort of, you know, had it on my about page, like hidden that this is something that I had dealt with, or, you know, I would mention in an interview, maybe, but I never led with it. It was a lot of um, just shame. And also a bigger part more than the shame was I don't want to be defined by my illness. And I also don't want this to feel gratuitous. I don't want it to feel, Mm. oh, look at me, I'm sick. And so like feel bad for me or something Mm. like that just feels so gross. And I know a lot of people can relate to that for sure, no matter if it's chronic illness or anything else that they've gone through that's been challenging. So for me, it was a little bit of like, I don't want to go there. I don't want to go there. I don't want to go there. And then a few years ago, ago, I was just going through this period talking about self-love and beauty, which was like kind of skirting around the deeper thing that I wanted to talk about. Mm -hmm. And I just started hitting so many walls with it. I started to feel like every time I was trying to work with those brands that I'd worked with before or get my show back on TV or whatever it might have been, I just kept hitting a wall and it wasn't working. What do you mean by a wall? I got a lot of no's. Mm. I got a lot of no's. I look at it sort of from a spiritual perspective perspective. And I'm like, okay, I kept fighting this deeper calling for so many years. Mm. You know, I was on QVC talking about beauty and eye cream and all this stuff. And for me, I was talking about eye cream because I wanted people to focus on loving themselves in the mirror and all these things, but it wasn't enough. That's not, my purpose is not to talk about eye cream, you know, and God bless you if it is your purpose, but that I just knew that I wanted to talk about something more, but yeah, I kept getting all these no's. And so when that next contractor, next beauty deal would have come in and been super easy for me to be like, oh, great. I'm going to be on QVC for another year. This is going to make me money. I'm going to be fine. I feel like the universe, God, whatever you want to call it, was Mm. like, sorry, no, you don't get any of this until you like cry in the corner Mm. for like months figuring out what you're really here to do. And it was at the end of that year, that was like 2017, that I was at this point of like, I literally have nothing to lose at this point. Mm. It got real dark. And I kept hearing that every time I would meet someone, all I wanted to do was help them with their emotional feelings and challenges around having to deal with a chronic illness. Mm. Didn't matter what condition it was, but I I knew that like I know nothing else in my life. And so I listened to that and I guess I started with a very, very small like Facebook group and I was like, let me just see if anyone cares. This is free and literally if no one gives a shit about what I'm talking about, I can just delete it. Yeah. And I don't have to pay anyone to create it for me and use resources that I did not have and all of that. 
And something really incredible happened. And it wasn't a numbers thing. It wasn't like, oh my God, now I have 5 million people in my Facebook group. Mm. It was a couple hundred people, but the people in there really represented a group of people that I related to in a way that I had never related to anyone Mm. before in my life. And they were mostly women, although we include and welcome men, non-binary individuals, you know, every kind of human being possible. If you know what we're talking about, please come in and join our conversation. But it was mostly women at that time. And women who were dealing with one to five different multiple, you know, chronic conditions. And they themselves, were themselves, they had one individually. To five. Oh my God. Individually. Wow. And they were getting their PhDs. They were fashionistas. They were bloggers. They were mothers. They were doing all, and I'm literally getting so many chills in my body when I talk about them because they were a reflection of something that I thought I was the only one. Mm. Every time you look in media, even though it's not even talked about that much, but when chronic conditions are talked about, it's usually the most debilitating, the most depressing, the most like dark and dreary conversation. Like mm. if you, there's this documentary on Netflix, I think it's called Afflicted or something. Mm-hmm. It is the worst thing I've ever seen on television. Do not watch it because it is so depressing. Mm. And I'm just like, do you know that just because we're sick, we also like fashion. We also love to like party yeah. and do our thing. Yeah. We also date. We do so many things. Why are you showing us like all we are, are these sick people who don't have anything else going for them? And so that was a huge turning point. And I think the moment I decided to even listen to that little kernel and like sort of dip my toe in the water and be like, okay, I'm going to try, although I'm pretty scared at this point. All of a sudden, I got a brand deal with a huge brand that was working on a psoriasis and eczema product product that like gave me income for quite a few months. And I was like, Oh my God, literally, how did that happen? You know, it was really affirming. Yeah. Okay. You can keep going in this direction. You will be supported. And it just kind of went from there. Can you tell a little bit about your personal history with chronic illness? Well, I was diagnosed with psoriasis at the age of 10 and psoriatic arthritis at the age of 19. And both are autoimmune conditions and you can have them in varying degrees. But for me, my psoriasis really started as like one dime-sized dot on my arm and it grew to cover like 95% of my body. I always say I don't even really remember how fast that happened. You know, when you're younger, it kind of feels like one day you were one way and the next day you were another way. And so I just remember things like, you know, people think of psoriasis as just a skin condition. And I think that's a really huge misconception because it's an autoimmune disease. And so my immune system was not only attacking itself, but fighting all the time. Mm. And the amount of like exhaustion and just physical discomfort that I had was incredibly traumatic traumatizing, honestly. Like for people who don't understand psoriasis, it kind of creates your skin kind of looks like scales. Like Mm. that's what becomes of your skin. And the way that I had it, there's sort of like different levels of, you know, intensity. And mine was kind of a level 10 for most of my life for about 17 years of my life. And it itches like chicken pox and all the time. So 95% of my body was covered from the tip of my foot to the tip of my head. And I was in school. I was trying to date. I was going through puberty. I was learning who I was and trying to figure out who I am in the world. And I am covered with scales. I am scratching so badly that my clothes are getting like bled through. While I'm in like math class, I scratch my leg and all of a sudden there's like blood on my leg. Most of the time I can control it because I am awake and I'm strong. But when I'm sleeping, I terrorize my body. 
and wake up in the morning and my mom has to like change my sheets every morning. Like that was like my entire childhood. And then when I was 19, I got psoriatic arthritis and I didn't even know that was a thing. And some people have one and not the other. It's not guaranteed that you'll have both. But for me, it was shocking. I remember being in my dorm room at college and I was opening the inside box of the cereal bag, you know? Yeah. And it was like something I do every day. Like I'm eating cereal all the time. And I went to open it and I couldn't, my hands wouldn't move properly and I couldn't open the bag of cereal. And I was like, that's weird. And then it just progressed from there. And that was when I was 19, Mm. 18, 19. And um, from about 20 to 25, 26, I pretty much couldn't walk without severe pain. My bones started to deform. I was in bed for, you know, a large majority of that time and and really just didn't have a life. And I couldn't hold a job because I couldn't stand for a long period of time. So it was really, really, really traumatic and, you know, life altering in every possible way that it could be. Yeah. And then when I was like 25, I just felt like I wasn't living life. And I sort of decided to try medication that I had avoided for a long time. There's so many things we could talk about when it comes to treatments and all that kind of stuff. But that stuff's pretty complicated and personal for each individual. But for me, I had gone, you know, through every kind of route imaginable. And I had sort of ended up in this place of absolutely nothing is working. I'm terrified to try these pretty serious drugs that have a lot of side effects. I don't want to do this. But my doctor sort of said to me, if I didn't, I would be completely immobile by the time I was 30. Wow. Yeah, and I was like 25 at the time. I had never really lived life, Yeah. you know? Like, I didn't even know this kind of life was possible. And now, I mean, I'm almost 39, so it's been a while since I was that severely um, debilitated. But even to this day, every time I take the subway and I go up and down the stairs I like I'm so grateful you know for just being able to take the steps it is something I never take for granted um and so that gave me like a whole new lease on life yeah what was the name of that first Facebook group Oh, it's still around, but oh, yeah. I, like, never post in it, which is probably the worst community organizing of all time. <laughs> I'm sure the people continue to um, communicate. They're, they're <laughs> awesome. It's called the Chronic Illness Crew. Yeah. And it's on Facebook. Nice. There's something about just getting – you can have ideas for, like, what makes a really vibrant community, but I think there's nothing replaces – just getting people together that have either like unfinished conversations or have something that they've been burning to like speak about or share or learn with or work with one another on, you know, like a unique experience that perhaps was in silos before and now is no longer. It's just another like version of you can't fake the funk. It's just like, there's nothing short of sort of that potential of those great ingredients. And recently you decided to host a giant event called Chronicon. Chronicon! In New York City, (laughs) where you brought together hundreds of people. How did you decide to do such a thing? Was there an aha moment? Like, it's a big undertaking, right? Like, it makes me nervous thinking about putting on an event (laughs) like that. Like, Kevin and I keep being like, maybe we should do something, and then we just keep putting it on the back burner. How did you cross the line there? Like, what got you to decide that you had to do this? I, in the seven years, well, actually, I guess it was like nine years leading up to ChronicCon specifically, I had always done events as a part of my work. And I think that's something that's important to mention because at the time, didn't connect the dots, you know, like we're talking about. I didn't know why this was going to matter. Yeah. And it was one of those things where, actually, I did my first event ever in December of 2009. And it was eight women in my friend's apartment. We had sparkling water and olives. And like, 
like that Sounds was good. great. Like, literally couldn't afford anything. <laughs> we'll come for olives. <laughs> yes, always olives. And we made vision boards and that was it, you know? And the reason I decided to do that particular event was because my f- initial goal was to have my own talk show. And I decided that I wanted to embody hosting in every area of my life, yeah. even if someone wasn't going to pay me to have my own talk show, because I didn't know how that story was going to end. So I just think it's important Which, to- Which, everyone listening, it ended well. And then it got a talk show. <laughs> it, it did end okay. well. It did end well. But it's been interesting for me to look back at that, because from there, I then started hosting events. I hosted all these workshops. I did panel discussions. And then I had these self-love celebrations, which were like my baby for a while, where I would have like two. 200 people and like 25 brands and I learned how to produce and I would do it for $5,000 or less because I had no money. I was just like, great. Everyone's going to donate everything. Hustling. Right. And, but I learned so much during that time. No school could have ever taught me that. Like not a question. Kevin's like just nodding his head. He's like, yeah. Just a well of practical experience. (laughs) An iceberg of it. Yeah. But for like almost 10 years, I I had no idea, right? But I had never done a conference. And that's where this was a huge step for me. Because when I had done, let's say, my self-love celebrations, my motto was, keep it simple, sweetie. People say, keep it simple, stupid. I changed it to keep it simple, sweetie. I like it. I like it. It's the more, like, loving version. (laughs) You know, so I was like, okay, keep it simple, keep it simple. If I don't have a lot of capital, like, how can I do this? Do it really well. So being thoughtful was always, like, my number one thing. Just focus on how thoughtful can I be. And then getting things donated and being strategic and that way. But I always kept it simple with having it from like an event that was like 7 to 10 p.m. We really only needed like one main room because we could, you know, just logistically was really as simple as I could make it because I never wanted to take on a conference. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) I was like, that sounds like what insane people do. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) You know? Yeah. So then like flash forward in 2018, you know, after I'd been doing this for a long time and I'd started in 2017, 2018, started talking about chronic illness and sort of diving into that a little bit. I still hadn't really hooked into like how I was going to really move the needle in this conversation, but I was enjoying just being a part of it. And I went to CurvyCon, Mm -hmm. which is another community, which is amazing. Two women started it and they're awesome. And I walked around CurvyCon and this was by their like fourth year, I think, or third or fourth year. I really took it in, you know, like these mostly women are walking around. They are voluptuous and beautiful and every shade and size imaginable. And they are being revered. Mm. They are being revered for being exactly who they are. And that something happened to me in that moment. I was like, wow. And I remember walking around CurvyCon and I was having this like inside moment in my head. And I was like, what would it be like for someone who had a chronic illness to feel this way? Yeah, to feel revered. I started to talk to myself about it. I was like, what would that be like? What would that, like, how would that happen? And honestly, my immediate reaction was like, this is a really big idea. I don't know. I don't know if this is a good Mm -hmm. idea. Like, my whole body felt like I don't, I literally was like, I don't know if I can hold this. Mm. Yeah. And I still feel that way sometimes. You know, I do. I I go back and forth between like, you know, good cop, bad cop being like, yes, you've got to do it. Being like, you're crazy. You know, back and forth like that. But yeah, I didn't even tell anyone for a little while, which is not really like, me. <laughs> I like to talk. I usually process through talking. So that's not really typical of me that I would keep it to myself like that. But I was afraid. 
And I also was really acutely aware of like, I had just come off this couple of years of being really low financially Mm. and with resources and everything. And I was like, I literally looked up at God and I was like, that's real cute. But like, how the hell do you expect me to do this? Because I have like $4. And also doing a conference. And I I was in CurvyCon, like looking at the, (laughs) you know, like the production value. Look at all these humans helping put this on. (laughs) Yes, totally. Look at all the humans helping put it on. Look at all the brands. Like to sell all of this to, I mean, to fill the room to just, I was like, "Mm, I know this is a big deal. And I also think you might be crazy. God. So yeah. So that's what came out. I want to underscore that point of feeling revered or honored. I feel like that's one of, one of the things that makes community events and gatherings. It's part of what makes it really, really special. There's this like functional value, like maybe you're going to learn something new, but just the idea of being in a space that is designed with you in mind, whether that's like finally a space where K through 12 teachers feel like this is really catering to what, you know, I as a teacher really care about or the things I have to deal with or the insecurities I have, or if it's like someone with chronic illness, or I was just talking to someone who puts on events for families with kids with disabilities and just to be in a space where you're not getting the side eye, you know? It's special. It's everything, honestly. It's really everything. I do feel that the whole point of doing it is to break the cycle of isolation. That was a big impetus to me starting to even talk about chronic conditions because I always felt so alone. And my mom has a chronic illness. My grandmother and my cousin like have chronic illnesses. So it wasn't like I didn't grow up with people who also dealt with their bodies, you know? And at the same time, I was convinced I was the only human being on the planet that dealt with this because of my daily experience. It's my body. So it's my experience and that's it. Right. And so even with people in my own family, I was like, I'm completely alone. And I know I have quite a bit of privilege in the amount of support that I got too. Right. Like that's not common for everybody. And so just adding all of those things up. And I was like, and I still felt so alone yeah there's something wrong there like I don't understand how that math adds up and then I started to be like well maybe I'm like you know one of 10 people with this condition or something like just start to look into what is the real number here like how many people really go through this This is just the women in my family and maybe a few others or something and the National Health Council said that in 2019 there was 133 million people in the country in the country right so from all of you listening all over the world that's just talking about America that have a chronic illness and by the end of this year it'll be 157 million Mm. and 80 million of those people will have multiple chronic illnesses. And these are the people that have been diagnosed. That's also another layer, right? Because I'm sure there are probably millions of people out there who are undiagnosed as well. It just, I don't know, my head just started to kind of swim around and be like, wait a second, wait a second, wait a second, wait a second. How are there 157 million people in the country dealing with the same exact thing, even if it's not the same condition? At Chronicon, one of the things that, the main thing that we do is we just talk about the emotional thread Mm -hmm. that exists no matter what condition you have, right? So that exists in 157 million people and no one is talking to us. Like, I still mind blown. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, I don't understand how that is Why do you think that is? Why do you think so many people miss it? That's like a huge part of it. It's not sexy. It's not marketable. They don't, I mean, it is, but that's what we've been told, right? Like marketability is like the girl with her perfectly painted toenails and like perfectly flawless skin and, you know, one size and one color and, you know, one ethnic background. And I'm just like, 
that's just not, and that's, the ceiling has been broken now more and more for sure, although we have a long way to go even with those conversations. The deeper, deeper rooted thing, I think, which is why my podcast is called The Point of Pain, because I feel like people don't want to deal with pain, right? Like if I ask my friend to sit with me as I am in a flare up, the amount that makes them have to deal with their own flare up in mm. their life, whether it's physical or emotional or a fear of flaring up or whatever, is profound. Mm -hmm. It is profound. And we have based, we have built a culture based on numbing, yeah. right? Whatever your drug of choice is, whether it's people or actual drugs or what workaholic or whatever. Video games. Video games, right? And that's not such a bad thing. I have to numb out. I watched so much Netflix. Like, that's like my <laughs> drug of choice, you know, and I am so fine with it. I'm like, I'm going to give 75 million percent all day, and then I'm going to Netflix Grace and chill and by myself. Yeah. I got to watch the whole thing. <laughs> watch the whole thing. Um, you know? Yeah. And I'm so fine with that. Like, because I don't feel, it doesn't take away from anything in my life. But that's the culture. Yeah. Right? No one wants to deal with, with yeah. our pain. That's the number one thing we're trying to avoid all day long. It's like, mm. please, no pain. Please, 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 yeah. please. All day long. Kevin and I get so excited about folks that do a really good job of thinking about the people they're serving when they're organizing a community and the little things that you do to like make them feel revered, make them feel recognized, make them feel like the space is for them. I think you did a lot at Chronicon for that to be the case. Can you share a little bit about things you thought through and put extra effort in because of the people that you were serving with the event? But the, the biggest thing that comes to mind, there's a lot of things, but the first thing that comes to mind is the food. Yeah. As someone with a chronic illness, one of our biggest points of anxiety is what am I going to eat? Yeah. Am I going to get sick? Is this going to make me worse? And am I going to starve? Yeah, like yeah, yeah. really, we most of us have really specific diets yeah. and things that we can't eat. And, and I'm sure not eating also stresses your body. So it's like all just this horrible thing. You just feel like on edge all the time. Like I've, I'm, I'm so much better now because I've learned, like I had this epic breakfast oh, yeah. before. Mm -hmm. you know, we had I, a kale single yeah. egg <laughs> breakfast that we talked about before. Yes, yeah, so the recording. cashew flour tortilla. Ah. Yes, you know, but I do that for myself now because I know that I'm going to be giving to the podcast when I go. I have errands to run and yeah, I'm like yeah. really diligent about that. Mm. But that took years for me to get there. And it's with a lot of moments in between of me being like, crap, I thought I was going to have that hour to eat. And yeah. Now I don't and all the things. So I knew that if I wanted people to feel taken care of and safe, I would need to feed them well. Yeah. We partnered with a ton of brands who gave us so many snacks. Yeah. Every snack you could have ever dreamed of we made little gift bags for people that they could take their like snack gift bag that was just full of snacks. We had tons of like gluten-free, yeah. dairy-free, you know, lots of nut-free options, like just anything that you could possibly find yeah. and dream of. And then I went back and forth about lunch and like, you know, our venue is in the middle of Union Square. So I was like, people can go get lunch. Like yeah. that's an option, right? It's not out of the question. And a lot of conferences, it's definitely cheaper and logistically a lot easier. Right. We like getting the tables. You need twice yeah. as much space if you're going to have a space for theater seating with yeah. the stage, but then also seat people for lunch. I mean, it is redong. Yeah. OK, so I was like really going back and forth about it. And then I was just like, wow, if someone comes to Chronicon and they have a mobility aid and they're not in the city 
and they're here to be taken care of and to feel like they're part of something. And I send them out. I get like so emotional thinking about these people, but I send them out, you know, even in Union Square where there's a hundred options and they feel like they're not being nourished. Mm. Like that's on me, you know? And I just, as you can see, because I'm like crying about it, but like I take it Mm. so seriously because I've been her. Yeah, I've been her when I couldn't walk without severe pain and people were just like, you're 22 years old, go deal with it. And I'm just like taking five, steps is literally going to devastate me with the amount of pain that I'm going to be in. Right. So I know what that feels like. So yeah, so we got it, we got it all catered and we got the little beat was the main, you know, source of catering and, and they gave us a autoimmune paleo vegan options, like Shout dairy out free. little beat. What's up? Oh my God. They were just so awesome to work with. Some of the other ways were really just more woven into the programming was I never wanted our content to be prescriptive. Um, as a person who has a chronic condition, like I don't want people to tell me what I should be doing for my chronic illness. Yeah. I'm like, I have a team of doctors. I've been dealing with this for 30 years. Like, if you think you're going to tell me something that I don't already probably know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know? Hey, and have you tried? And oh you're like, God. yeah, okay. When I had psoriasis that was visible, every time I got into a taxi cab, the taxi driver would, would talk to me about a remedy that his cousin in India yeah, somehow, totally. something. And I'm like, this is the least helpful thing yeah, on the yeah, planet. Yeah. And I know a lot of people deal with that. So no unsolicited advice. Like, those kinds of things are really important to me mm. to create safety, right? And so even in our programming, I did didn't want like we had like a food panel for one of them and I think people thought that we were going to like tell them what to eat and I was just like I'm absolutely not going to tell you what to eat mm-hmm. I've never seen your blood work I'm not your doctor mm-hmm. I don't know what you're allergic to yeah. but I'm going to give you a couple of people who have really dealt with this and, and help you feel more empowered because they had to learn how to be empowered in their own lives and then you can pick and choose what works for you yeah. you know so things like that and this might change in the future but I didn't have a keynote speech I had a keynote interview which I don't like being taught at, you know, mm-hmm. I want it to feel like we're in this together. And so I had a keynote interview with one of my best friends, Stacey London, and she was so vulnerable. And I know like had not just her, but had someone gotten up there and been given like the stage and, you know, the podium, so to speak, it just creates a different energy. You know, it creates this I am here for the keynote. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And I'm just like, no, we're all the same. Yeah. No, no, no. Like no one gets to come in here and be better than anyone that's sitting in that seat in front of us. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. So I think even moments like that of just really tapping into and always going back to my bottom line is the person in the seat. Like that is my bottom line. I would love to make this successful and continue to make money off of it and all of those things because I want to be paid for doing the things that I love. Yeah. But that's not my bottom line. What went right? What went wrong? If you do it again, what are you definitely going to do again? Because that was so important to the success of the event. And if you do it again, what's something that you're going to change? People told us a lot that, you know, a lot of places or experiences talk about being diverse, but it still comes off as like tokenism, you know? And I, I don't know, I really was passionate about and very committed to every single panel didn't have just like one black person or one brown person. There was like a Puerto Rican person. There was a person in a mobility aid. There was a person who was transgender. There was a person who was that, you know, like, like it's not okay just to be like, we have one person that's not in the binary or something. And then we've checked the box. Like, no. And I think that that's something that 
people could feel that we weren't just trying to like check a box. I feel really committed to the fact that there are voices out there that aren't being like elevated at all because they don't fit in a certain box. Yeah. Dumb question, but why, why do you care so much about that? Why does it matter to you? It just, it feels obvious to me. Like it doesn't feel like a, like a stretch. It feel, the thing that feels like a stretch about it is that people aren't being given those opportunities. So like I had to like work my ass off to Mm. sort of dig and dig and dig. And every time I had a panel and I was like, okay, there's five people on this panel. Like I'm not okay with five of these people being in one particular category because I feel like not represented a lot. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I don't really love going to conferences and stuff, honestly, because I feel like I go and then I sit there and I hear for the most part, one type of person telling me about this one version of an experience. And it's just, I don't know. It it's take, just not interesting to you. And it's not, not interesting. And, and I also think it's kind of damaging. It gets back to that theme of breaking the cycle of isolation. I think it, to me, there's a thread there around how even if you go to a room full of people, you can still feel isolated if you feel like, you know what, I feel like a token in this situation or there isn't any story that feels like it connects back to my story. I felt that isolation most of my life and I still feel it. It's hard to put together the financial pieces for an event as well. Just how did you think about money? What was important to you and how did you put the pieces together? There are obviously a bunch of different ways people can monetize a conference. A lot of conferences, maybe not in the health space, but in general, really focus on like ticket sales being a large majority of the you know money that they're going to get the revenue. I do not believe in that model. If I'm really doing this for the person that I'm inviting, if they are going to miss the event because they can't afford it, that's not okay with me. It just doesn't sit well with me. It doesn't make sense to me. I'm like, if I'm doing this for you, like, why should I exclude you? And especially with the chronic illness community, like I know firsthand, you know, financially what it's like having to deal with all of my stuff. But I also have so many people in my community that will let me know. Like I have this one girl that always stuck with me. She's, you know, in her early thirties and she has endometriosis and she had to have several surgeries because she was in severe debilitating pain. She's still paying off her surgeries because they basically made her broke. And there was not an elective surgery. You know what I mean? And she's one out of millions, right? She's just like an avatar for me in in my mind. But I think of her and I'm just like, really? I'm going to charge you so much money to come to this event that's for you to make you live a better life and feel less isolated. And you're not going to be able to come because you have to pay for your endometriosis surgery. Like that's not okay. So for me, I, I sort of stuck by that and knew that from the very beginning. We charge $150 because that is genuinely what I know the value is of the ticket um, and giving. But any person who cannot afford it can fill out an application. And I gave every single person a free ticket who filled out an application. I literally was like, all you have to do is put five minutes of effort and let me know that you actually really want to be there and you're there. So that's a huge part of it. And then, yeah, I worked with sponsors. I mean, I've always done sponsorships as a part of my business model. I think it's a great way to sort of leverage the assets that come naturally to me. So the community, the content, and also, you know, I was able to get some really incredible speakers and stuff like that. So leveraging all of that exposure. And then also because I'm a content creator, I was able to sort of create packages that were like, you get a newsletter for my mailing list. And we were talking earlier, like you can be a part of the Point of Pain podcast. We didn't really leverage like speaking opportunities. We might in the future, but in this one, we didn't. I just didn't feel like it was 
was the right fit for this one. I wanted it to be a little bit more separate, but we did booths and stuff. So it, like we had like a, you know, celebration at the end and, and we had people set up booths and do that. So those were different sponsorship packages. Initially, I, you know, I had no idea how I was going mean, to I had $4. Like yeah. I told you, I was like, I have no idea how I'm ever going to do this. There were a lot of ups and downs that came with like pursuing it for this last year. But essentially I had one really big partner that really believed in it. And they decided to inject like a significant amount of money into the project that I didn't even ask for actually. And it's because they believed in it so much, which was really great. If they had not done that, I don't know, honestly, if I would have been ready to even get to the place that I ended up being by myself. Like yeah. I think that's a really positive thing. Now this year moving forward, trying to figure it out and we're going to double it in size. Wow. Yeah. Woo-hoo. So that was, yeah. Going back to your question about what would I change? That was something that I would change. We were all a little nervous because we were working with people that had mobility aids, mm-hmm. that they needed a certain amount of room essentially to be able to go throughout the venue. Right. Yep. And that's top of mind. Need to make sure that they're super supported and taken care of. But as you might already know, like for events, you kind of have to oversell. Mm-hmm. And so I had a long wait list of people that wanted to come mm. that I couldn't even get them in the room because I was afraid of the egress, yeah, yeah, you know? Yeah. So, so that's that's something where I'm like, okay, I'm going to oversell the event. I'm- to ask on the sponsorships piece, yeah. a lot of people come and speak to us about how they can support financially a community that they're organizing, they're getting together. Do you have any tips for anyone who doesn't know very much about that world, about things that you've learned that are a great way to help move those conversations along or to approach those conversations? The first thing that I would do is like sit down and make a list of those assets that I've just mentioned, right? So like, what are the things that have value that you can actually share with a brand. And so that might be your Instagram audience or your YouTube, or that might be, you know, you might be able to do a small private event for a group of influencers. Like that's something that you could leverage. Maybe you have a free event space that's Mm -hmm. like super easy. You know, things that are not going to, hopefully not going to cost you money to do, especially in the beginning, because they're already just assets that you have access to. I make a list of that and add things to that list that you're like not sure about, like be very like liberal with that list. Yeah. Yeah. Dive deep into it for sure. And then from there, I would make a list of the kinds of brands that you would want to work with. I, you know, I'm coming into year 10. So now I'm actually going for brands that I don't really know anyone there. And I'm like, oh my God, this is a huge step. But for the most part, from the beginning, I didn't really cold email people. I'm a big believer in like building relationships. And I think that's just the thing to give you longevity. And so I would make those lists of brands And then I would like see that, you know, Naturopathica is having a cool free event and I would go and then I would meet their communications person. And then I'd be like, oh my God, you're so great. Let's have coffee. And then I'd have coffee with her. And then I'd say, oh my God, I'm doing this event. You guys should totally be a part of it. And she'd be like, why didn't I think of that? And then I'd send her the deck and then it would, you know, it's like five more steps than just sending a cold email. Yeah. But the response is probably rate is like so much higher. So much higher. So much higher. And also I have really learned that if I, if my bottom line is to be of service, which it always has been since the beginning, how can I 
make sure that what the brand is bringing to the table is really going to be of service to my audience. So, and that might sound like it's not in line with like, how do I get started? But it actually is incredibly important. One, because I think when you are that strategic about it and you're that, you know, clear and sure, brands can feel that. So from the very first sales conversations that I would have, I would come on the call and be really clear, this is about my audience. How do you think you can help my audience? And I have a ticket for how you can get in to be able to help them, but you're only invited if you're going to help them. You know, I think that kind of clarity right off the bat, whatever your bottom line is, I think it makes all the difference and people can feel that it's genuine. I'll say I'm just, I'm excited to have this conversation because you and I met in probably the beginning of 2019. And I just remember grabbing coffee with you and you were like, I have this idea, you know, and at that point it was idea. I was was terrified. It's like, I was like, I'm meeting this guy and I'm going to tell him about Chronicle and I don't really know what I'm doing. (laughs) Yeah. So just know that it's been, you have put it out there and you've, you've organized it and there's, you know, a a trajectory and exploration of what, what comes next. I'm, you know, I'm happy to be a small part of that journey. My question is, uh, if you could wave a magic wand and ask for anything related to Chronicon, um, the community you're working with, what would you ask for? One of my goals for Chronicon is to like get media and mainstream brands to really invest in our community. Mm -hmm. Because I think that's a key part to this conversation like we were talking about earlier, right? It's not just about the money. It's like to show the chronic illness community Mm -hmm. that this mainstream brand who has been catering to a certain audience for so long is like, oh no, our door's open to you guys. Mm -hmm. And like, we actually see how valuable you are and we honor you and we want to take care of you and want to support you. That's really, I think, like the ultimate goal. And I also think there's, you know, I'm just one person. So there's like a sense of being able to take that mainstream energy and then, you know, possibly get more support from more public figures and all those kinds of things, which then allow the girl in Iowa or whoever, um, you know, to be able to basically hear about us, right? Because I'm only one person and I don't have 7 million followers or whatever. So I think that's really where I'm I'm trying to pull things in and if I could wave a magic wand I'd be like Jamila Jamil come <laughs> oh, come on over or you know like yeah. Lady Gaga I wrote on my Instagram recently like who do you want to hear speak and everybody was like Lady Gaga I'm like thanks guys I'm glad you have this much <laughs> yeah. confidence in me but, um, can we start with something that has okay. like how many million followers and who until else she notices can build this list <laughs> totally totally so shalalala hello sorry no, no, no. I'm so there with you. Um, no, so, you know. I, I think she's a listener, right, Kev? Yeah, I'm sure she's Obviously. She I'm sure she, like, listens to I, this on her way to I, Oprah. I can't confidently say she's not a listener. <laughs> this is true. This is so true. So I think and it's interesting because, you know, those are all really, like, mainstream, flashy things yeah. that, not to get, like, super spiritual or esoteric, but, like, the ego could be really enticed by. And I think a huge part of the journey is to take the ego and the validation out of it and still focus on it being of service and that that's the reason why you want her or him or it and not because you want to be cool or you want to, you know, be popular or whatever it might be, you know? So that's probably like the most delicate dance that I'm constantly on. Yeah, 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 yeah. I get that. That's keeping it real right there. Yeah, (laughs) it's real. (laughs) 
Nitika, thank you so much for your time. Thank Thanks you. for coming and visiting us. And also thank you just for, I can't imagine like dealing with something that affects you physically. Like doing the work that you're doing is non-trivial. And I can't, like I said, I can't imagine putting on a conference like that. So just like really impressed. And thank you for doing the work that you do. Thank you both for having me. It's great. I love talking to you. Woo! If you want to get involved with Chronicon, you can go to chronicon.co. Or you can find Nitika on Instagram at Nitika Chopra. That's N-I-T-I-K-A-C-H-O-P-R-A. Nitika Chopra. If you were to organize a con mm-hmm. in the next five years, I'm making it real. What would that con be about, Bailey? Keep it simple. Pesto con. Ooh, I love nice. pesto. I think I would probably OD on it, though. <laughs> If I had to like taste all these things with pesto in it, but I really love pesto. Maybe pesto con. What about you, Kevo? Yeah, maybe I would do a breakfast con. Now that I think that already exists. Yeah, I'm sure that breakfast yeah. time, baby. Maybe breakfast time. Right. I'd do a diner con. I've been really thinking about diners recently. It wouldn't be your usual like you go into a venue and like you know, be like a roving discuss, conference. But maybe it's like a day of action where it's like people <laughs> go to diners. Okay, great. If you want to find out more about us, people and company, and the ways that we work with organizations to make smarter bets on how they cultivate communities, go to peopleand.company. Not a .com, it's a .company. .company. Also, our book, Get Together, is on Amazon. You can find the link at gettogetherbook.com. It's full of stories and learnings from conversations with community leaders like this one we had with Nitika. Oh, and last thing, if you've made it this far <laughs> and you feel like being a friend of ours, you can review this podcast. It's super helpful for us, helps other people find it. And also when you click subscribe, that helps more people find it. So if you feel like doing that, we appreciate it. <laughs> Thank Later, y'all. you. Thank you to Canal Street Market for having us. Yeah, we thanks for listening, you. party. See ya. Bye.